Hello and welcome to episode 36 of the MDDDS podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Fagala, and tonight we have Dr. David Flatt teaching us on how to read the Bible. This is going to be the uh, first lesson in our three-week series called Following the King on Christian Disciplines. We'll talk about how to read the Bible, how to pray, and lastly, how to make disciples, how to share the gospel. Uh, tonight should be very excellent. This is a topic that uh, is very near and dear to David, and uh, I've already read through his notes. And I think it's going to be fantastic. So let's go to David right now with how to read the Bible. All right, guys. Well, um, test week. So med students, appreciate y'all being here. I, uh, <clears throat> I think we may talk a little bit about priorities and, and how you think about being too busy or whatever. But um, so we just finished up the first series of the year. We finished up Romans. So tonight we're starting a new series called Following the King. And this is kind of answering the basic question of what it means to follow Jesus. And so I think in life, there's this tendency to talk about and argue about and spend all our time thinking about kind of second and third level tasks, right? And we neglect the fundamentals, right? So in medicine, you see this all the time. Everyone's all excited about like... um, the new antibiotic or the the uh, in cardiology we'll have like a, a new stent that comes out or a, a new valve procedure that we can do and all those things are interesting we you know if, if we spent 10 weeks on spiritual disciplines we might talk about um, some different ideas but I just want to say like put myself on the side of I think getting the fundamentals right is like a just a good life principle so uh, if we're going to spend three weeks on Christian discipleship, we're going to talk about what I think are probably the three most important things to, to following Jesus. Read your Bible, pray, and share the gospel. So um, you may think, well, that's kind of boring. Like, I'm, I'm a med student. I'm 23 years old. I've been a Christian for however many years. Like, we're going to talk about reading, why you should read the Bible. Um, but I think if you look at like someone really living like the abundant, fulfilling Christian you're almost always going to find a person who's committed to the Word, and they've got a plan for how they're reading through the Bible. So I want us to be those kind of people, so that's what we're going to talk about. So how, Christian discipleship, kind of fundamentals, that's what the next three weeks is about. So that being said, um, a, a good verse, if you're going to think about um, how to read the Bible, <clears throat> a good verse would be Hebrews 4.12, and this is just maybe an emphasis on why reading the Bible is important. So... Um, the author of Hebrews, which would be a, a cool topic for another night, who wrote Hebrews, says, For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So there's this idea that the word of the Lord, the word of God, the written word specifically, it cuts through us. It cuts the, separates the wheat from the chaff, so to speak perfects us, shows us the good parts of ourselves. And so we want to be people who are engaging um, with the Word. So that being said, let's kind of do a short introduction into Christian discipleship. And really, I'm just going to make the case uh, that this is important, that it matters uh, that you take your life seriously. So um, the preacher at Bellevue Baptist here in town, which is, uh, the, I guess, the biggest church in Memphis, and um, has done a lot of a good things through the years, but he, he had this quote, which I thought <clears throat> uh, was really relevant to what we're going to talk about the next three weeks. So um, like a lot of things uh, that Steve Gaines says is pretty sharp, um, but I think that can be helpful. So here's kind of the, the uh, 
unfiltered truth. He says, Christianity is more than just going to church an hour a week and saying rote prayers at mealtimes. Have you ever lived a Christian life like that or know people who live a Christian life like that? They think, well, I go to church and we'll like kind of say our prayers at mealtime. And then I live like the rest of the time like I'm not a Christian, right? I, I might uh, use the same kind of language non-Christians use. I think about the same things. My budget looks about the same as a non-Christian's budget. My dreams are about the same. The movies I watch, my passions are the same. You know, there's nothing any different about my life except... Sunday morning from 9 to 11, I'm at the church house, and then we say, you know, thank you for our food. So Gaines' contention is that Christianity is more than that. If you're not daily reading the Word, praying passionately, sharing the gospel with lost people, connecting with Christians and worshiping Jesus, you aren't living the Christian life. So I don't know if I'd say it that way, but if that's even possibly true, then we ought to reflect on, in my life, am I reading the Word, Am I praying? Am I sharing the gospel? Am I connecting with other Christians? Am I worshiping Jesus? Because if I'm not, if it's possible that I'm not living the Christian life, then that ought to give me pause to what life am I living. And we, I think one of the themes that we talk about in here is how powerful the culture that surrounds us is, for good and bad. And so if we live in kind of a secular, post-Christian culture, if we're not intentional about doing these things about living the Christian life, I think it's really easy not to. It's really easy to kind of live a nominal, yeah, I'm, I say I'm a Christian, but like nothing different. That's how most people live. So let's think about that. So to be a disciple, the, uh, the Greek word here, disciple, just means follower. So your blank there is followers. So disciples are followers of Jesus. So if you like look it up in Webster Dictionary, it says a disciple, or a disciple is a follower of a teacher or philosopher. So you're just to say that you're a disciple just means that you're following Jesus. So the word Christian is, I think, a helpful word. It's a good word. Sometimes this uh, follower will make an argument like, "Oh, we should get rid of the word Christian," and I think that's crazy. But I think it should be pointed out that the word Christian is only used once, maybe twice, in the New Testament. The word disciple is used over and over and over and over again for the people who are following Jesus. So really, biblically, of course we want to be Christians. That's a biblical concept. But I think the word disciple is also helpful. I think they both kind of show shades of meaning of what it means uh, to, to be God's people. But as God's people, we want to be following Jesus. That's the most common word that, that God's people are referred to in the New Testament. So here's, <clears throat> I wish we had like, you know, a whole lesson on this, but you know, we got a lot of stuff we want to cover. But let me just briefly, three characteristics of disciples. So if you want to be a disciple, what are maybe three characteristics of biblical disciples? The first characteristic is salvation. Salvation. So this is what we, kind of what Romans, at least the first half of Romans is about. So salvation means you trust in Jesus as Lord. As Lord, what does that mean? If someone's your Lord, it means you're giving them authority over your life. So if someone is your Lord, they tell you how to live, right? And so if you're saying, Jesus is my Lord, you're saying, my preferences, my opinions will be secondary to your call on my life as my Lord. So that's what it means for Jesus to be your Lord of their lives and Savior of their souls. So what does it mean to be a Savior? It means something about you is at risk and Jesus saves you. So, so in this situation would be the sin that separates you from God. So we're worthy of God's judgment, Jesus is our Savior. So salvation makes Jesus our Lord and Savior. You think about 1 Timothy 1.15? The saying, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, 
of whom I am the foremost. In some Christian circles, you'll get this idea that like the role of Jesus is to be like a role model or a good example or a demonstration of how you live a fully loving life, and it kind of ends there. Of course, that is part of what Jesus is doing. But ultimately, again and again in the New Testament, Jesus came to save sinners. So think what Paul says here in 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy 1.15, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. So part of being a disciple means you accept his salvation. The second, okay, so I think nobody would disagree with that, right? So if you were like kind of talking at a church on Sunday or maybe some Christian friends back home or whatever, would you say, can you be a follower of Jesus without accepting his salvation? Nobody, like that's not like a controversial thing. The next two, though, I don't know if they're controversial as much as neglected. So I want to really challenge us to think about these two things. The next is affection, Affection. So we, a disciple spends time with Jesus in his word and in prayer. <clears throat> so um, one of my favorite preachers, he has a line he kind of re- repeats over and over. He says, what are you doing in your life to stir up your affections for Jesus? I think it's an interesting question because the, the habits we engage in, the things that we do, that orients the direction of our heart, right? So um, the more that I watch football and engage with football and cheer for my team and learn about them, the more I love it and the more I love them. And I think you could think of any hobby or even profession. The more that I work and learn about cardiology, the more like fired up I am about it because it's great. So you spend time with it and it stirs up your affections. And so the same is true in our spiritual life. And I think we have a responsibility um, to say my affection for Jesus isn't just a product or something that happens to me. It's something that I'm going to be intentional about engaging in and stirring up. So think about the things and the habits of your life that make you feel close close to Jesus. Who are the people that you talk with that challenge you? Where are the places that you meet with other Christians that engage you? What is the music that you listen to that, that stirs up your affections for Jesus? And then, then you want to try to find ways to engage your life with those kinds of things. So I think... Um, I'm not really this way, but <clears throat> Kyle definitely is. So the way that music, he engages with music, that stirs his affection for Jesus. So he's like crazy about all the ways he's finding to like listen to music, play music, get with people, perform music. And so I think that's exactly like what we're talking about. As a disciple, you're wanting to think about what in my life do I engage in that's going to stir up my affections for Jesus. And part of that is going to include reading the Bible in prayer. And those, those two are, are, are scriptural. I mean, it tells us to do that. So think about 1 John 4.16. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So part of being a disciple is loving Jesus. And so we, you need to think about who, what are the things, who are the places, who are the people that stir up my affections for Jesus. And then finally is multiplication. So disciples make more disciples. In some ways, I think this is the point of the New Testament. So uh, <clears throat> you'll hear a lot of talk in like kind of church circles. Did I do something wrong? Oh, the blank is multiplication. I'm sorry. Um, you'll hear a lot of talk in church circles about like we're trying to work on our mission. We're trying to figure out like what the mission of our church is. That's usually coming from a well-intentioned place. I'm, I've even been a part of like those conversations. I think I'm not saying they're unhealthy, but I just say like the mission has been established. Like we have the church has been given a mission, and it's to go and make disciples. That's the last thing Jesus said. He's like, "I'm leaving 
I'm not coming back to the end of the age. Last words I got to say, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We're going to talk about authority a little bit later, but that's important. So he's saying, I'm speaking to you not as like, Jesus, my homeboy, you know, how can I encourage you? How can I love on you? He's like saying, I have authority. I'm in charge of the whole universe. I'm about to tell you the last thing before I leave. So think about how important this idea would be, whatever it is. Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So the mission for the church is Matthew 28, 18-20. Now how we engage our culture, how we make disciples, how we work within our neighborhoods, our city, our nations, or the nations, you know, that's obviously open for a lot of prayer and biblical wisdom and engaging with uh, people that we worship with to think about. But the mission is the same. We're to make disciples. So disciples make disciples. So the three things I'd say here, three characteristics characteristics of a disciple. There's salvation. You're going to have trusted Jesus with your soul and life. There's affection. You're going to live a life that's committed to stirring up your affections. And there's multiplication. You're going to be committed to playing whatever role you can play as a giver, as a sender, as a goer, as a sharer. You're going to be involved in making the Great Commission complete. We are going to go to every nation on the planet and share the gospel. That will be the end mission of the church. And that will happen, and then Jesus will come. So you say, wow, that's kind of weird, David. Where do you get that? Like, well, Jesus said that. So Matthew 19, Jesus said the gospel will be preached to all nations, and then the end will come. So the mission of the church is we are going to go to all nations and share the gospel. And so we're a part of that. And so you, we need to be thinking, how can I engage in the, with the place, the treasure, the talents that God's given me to be a part of that great mission? Okay, so all that being said, discussion question, why do we so often neglect spiritual disciplines? Why do we so often neglect spiritual disciplines? Time. Time, yep. <clears throat> no doubt. That's a big one. For me, you're good. Okay, so I think uh, it's in the second word, disciplines. Mm-hmm. It takes time, it takes effort. You have to be you know, intentional about, like, hey, I'm not going to do anything else right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of spending your free time, you know, focusing on yourself, you focus on your relationship. That's hard, right? I think uh, there's a lot of truth in the world that is um, simple. I mean, like what you just said, that's not a complicated idea. So it's simple, but it's not easy. So, so most worthwhile things are like that. Like how do you make good grades in med school? Well, you study your butt off. It's not like that's not a complicated idea, but it's very, very hard to do, right? <laughs> and so um, to be, to kind of reach spiritual flourishing you got to be disciplined. So it's an easy idea, but that's hard. A lot of distractions. I think for me, um, like, intimidation plays a big role into mm-hmm. it. And it's like, if there's anything I struggle with, it's like consistently reading my Bible. And I think mm-hmm. the reason is because I'm almost intimidated by, like, the immensity of the meaning behind it. And it's kind of like, I was just thinking, it's kind of like when I have so much to do that I just go to sleep because I don't even know where to start. Mm. Um, and that's just like, I guess that's how I feel sometimes. Yeah. <clears throat> for me uh, it's like in the short term they don't feel as productive as mm. other things I could be doing you know like yeah if this day's uh, verses are you know from like 
first kings or whatever uh reading all those uh genealogies doesn't feel as productive as other things that i could be doing yeah i think in the long term it turns out to be but so there's it go ahead it's hard to tell yourself that in the moment <clears throat> this is not original to me but i think you're kind of articulating an important life principle that i wish somebody told me earlier is this idea between um important versus urgent so there's all these tasks in life that like come at you like you've got to do this right now. You have a test Friday. So Thursday night, what do you have to do? You have to study, right? Or you get a text message right now. This is something happening this second. If I don't respond, then you know that you know my buddy's going to send me three more text messages. So it's like right on you. And often we do important things. I mean, we do urgent things that are not important. This will not matter at all ten years from now. And we often don't do things that are really important if they're not urgent. So is it urgent to read my Bible? Almost never. It's, it's never urgent to read my Bible. If it's 7 a.m., is it urgent? No, I could read it my Bible at 8 a.m. or at 9 a.m. or after the kids go to bed tonight. It's never urgent. So I almost, it's easy to not do it, right? So working out's the same way. It's never urgent to work out. I could run in the morning. I could run at my lunch break. I could run, you know, at night. It's, but it's so important. And if you don't do the important things because they're never urgent, Ten years from now, you're not going to be the person you dream of being, and uh, I think that's like about 75% of human psychology. Like not developing is because we don't do the important things when they're not urgent. Mm-hmm. Right there with you, man. You guys I don't know if you know that when I lecture, I talk about that. You're so smart, man. No, it's <laughs> it's it's in like every book on that. Mm-hmm. But, um, I was just going to say that it's not just spiritual disciplines, just disciplines like. What, whatever discipline it is, exercise, diet, um, moderation, like, I'm terrible at all those. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is exactly, for me, at least what Ryan said, it's the, the <coughs> lack of gratification and the lack of urgency that it just doesn't motivate behavior, you know. But it's the things that on our deathbed we'll wish we had done more right. of. But we will, uh, we probably won't regret that we missed season three of some show that had already like not gotten that good anyway <laughs> but that's like what what feels very important uh, another thing would be friction like in all these things is like where there's less friction it's easier to do those things that's why netflix is so um consuming is, is it just pushes on to the next episode you don't have to flip the disc it's like well, sure i'll keep watching mm-hmm. and then it asks you 12 hours later like are you still alive I think. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway. man good thoughts um okay well, let's press on here. These are the how to read the Bible. So I said how to read the Bible. A lesson on how to study the Bible would be different than this. And I guess I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but I would say before you study the Bible, you should read the Bible. Okay? And so I think there's been a lot of... maybe just, let's just be blunt. There's been a lot of heresy, a lot of false teaching from people who go into the text looking for an answer, looking to win an argument instead of engaging the text as it is, reading it first and then studying it next. So maybe, maybe we'll do another lesson later how to study the Bible. Um, but I want to say before we start studying the Bible, before we start arguing with people, before we start forming these like unmovable opinions, we should read it for what it is and let the Spirit engage our hearts. So if you're not reading the Bible and loving God through the Word, um, it's probably not the right time to like write your dissertation on why you know, Jesus was wrong about topic X. You know, let's read the Bible first, and then uh, then we can study it second. <clears throat> so if I was writing this lesson um, right now instead of 
last night and this morning. I would have put in another P. So let me just throw this out there, and then we can uh, maybe if y'all are around next time we teach this lesson, you can uh, hear me talk about. It. But I would say priority would have been a good P, and that kind of talks about some things we talk about. Is it a priority in your life to catch up on the next um, whatever TV show or whatever football game, or is it a priority in your life to make sure you're spending time in the Word? And I think. I think maybe that P is it kind of answers the whole thing, but um, let's just let's just I think that's an important point. That are you making reading the Bible a priority? All right, the other five P's. Prayer is the first one. Prayer. So I'm going to say a lot about this, except that it's probably the most important one. Okay, and we're going to have a whole lesson next week taught by Eric Gentry, who some of you guys may know. He's one of the preachers. Uh, at our church. He's really a, <clears throat> a great guy and really has a lot of cool things to say about prayer. So he's going to teach on prayer next week. But everything in the Christian life should always start with prayer. So don't go to med school. Don't take a test. Don't get married. Don't take a job. Don't put in your residency rank order list if you're not praying about it. Right? That's not the Christian life. You need to be engaging uh, God in prayer. So everything, including reading your Bible, starts with prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That's part of the Christian life. We need to be in prayer. So Eric will talk more about that next week. What I'm going to talk about the most tonight is the, the P that I think is the most difficult for me and probably for a lot of, of y'all uh, being a Christian in 2018, Western, secular culture. You're going to read a text from 2,000 years ago. The hardest thing is what we'll call posture. 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 How do you approach God's Word? So this is the position you're in as you engage the text. So here's what I mean by that. When you engage any idea, there's kind of three places you can put the idea. One is you're kind of putting it at your level. And you're going to say, we're going to engage in conversation and we're going to sharpen each other. So that maybe might be the situation that you're in with like a prayer partner or a, uh, <clears throat> somebody, an accountability partner, and so you're talking about the things you're struggling with, you're trying to sharpen each other, and you're recognizing, well, maybe you're right this time, maybe I'm right next time, we're going to engage each other. Another position, another posture you might have is standing above. So you might have somebody in your life who's got ideas um, that you're going to stand above, you're trying to be a mentor to. Um, there's somebody who maybe is a little younger than you, maybe um, is confused about stuff, or is in a tough place in life and needs some engagement from a more mature person. So you're going to stand above. A third posture is going to be to sit under, to sit under someone's authority. So this would be a position that a, um, a household would have organized in, in a biblical way. Children in that household would be underneath the authority of the parent. So Charlie can't tell Kyle and Anna, um, hey, I'm, I'm going to the movies. And they're like, oh, I don't want you to. And he's like, well, I'm, I'm going to the movies. This is what I think would be best for me tonight. They say, uh, no, you're under our authority. Like, you come back in. This is what we're eating for dinner. This is what we're doing tonight as a family. <clears throat> and so all that to say, it's very difficult in our culture for a lot of reasons to allow yourself to sit underneath someone else's authority. None of us want to do that. And so what I want to say is if we try to engage the text, the word, as an equal, so we're sharpening each other, so, oh, this is a good idea from the Bible, but, oh, I don't like this one, so we're kind of going back, or if we're over the text, so we're the one judging, oh, man, Paul is so backward on this idea, or, man, well, God would have thought differently if he had been around to hear, you know, the last political debate. Um, that's much more comfortable to us because that's how we engage everything else, right? That's how we watch the news. That's how we talk to our friends. That's how we um, talk about politics. That's how we talk about religion. That's how we talk about um, sports, right? Um, 
we very rarely say, even if I disagree with what you're saying, I'll accept it. I'll obey it. My kids don't even do that. <laughs> rarely. Sometimes. Um, but th- so that, I think that's probably the most important thing that we can say to each other is there's this countercultural idea for how we engage the text, and it's our posture. And uh, it's, it's tough. So I'm going to suggest we need three postures. The first is a posture of humility. Humility. I think um, <clears throat> Grant, who taught a few weeks ago in here, he says that every level of Christian maturity first depends on humility. That may or may not be true. It probably is true. But you should know that, that really people living abundant Christian life think that humility is like the start of everything. And uh, what I mean by this is you've got to be humble enough to recognize that you're not perfect. Not to say those words out loud, but to feel it in your soul. Some of my opinions are wrong. Some of my thoughts and behaviors are sinful. I need to be corrected and sharpened. I'm not who God wants me to be in a lot of ways. So let's just talk about humility as it engages our culture. Because I think that's the biggest problem here is that um, we live in a culture that's shaping us, whether we acknowledge it or not. So Tim Keller, who's one of my favorite um, preachers, just came out with a new book. So uh, I'm excited about reading that. But virtually all the objections you might have to things that the Bible teaches are based on a high faith in your culture and superiority of your culture. So you think, like, what does that mean? Like, Because the truth is, we all don't think that we live in a culture, right? Because if you, like, the fish doesn't think he's wet. We study culture like everyone else's culture. But the truth is, we live in, like, kind of upper middle class, American, um, secular, postmodern-ish culture. And we accept a lot of those norms, all the norms that we don't kind of actively think through. So here's like an example I think about. One of my really good friends is a uh, <clears throat> guy that I, I work with and we're um, good buddies with. But he's, he's Muslim. And so we talk a lot about faith. Not a lot, but, you know, we probably had 10 or 12 conversations about it. And so you would think living in our culture, the parts of Christianity that kind of rub up the most are things about um the holiness and the demands of God, especially in areas of like sexuality and, and purity and about behavior. So that's really a tension if you're going to engage, you know, one of our peers, probably in your med school class, if you're going to talk about Christianity with somebody like that, you're going to run up into that, right? That's going to be a tough issue. But for my buddy, that is not the issue at all, right? Because he comes from a culture that accepts the holiness of God and has a high view of that. So to him, kind of the decadence of American culture is like, he like he's already on like um, team holiness. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't see that as a, as a problem. What he sees as a problem is like the graciousness of God. So you're you're telling me that God would just doesn't care how you act, and he just like would just forget about that. And you you know you, even like these people who are engaged in this particular sin that he finds particularly offensive, God would just not worry about that if they said they want to be forgiven. And so I'm not necessarily saying that his idea is crazy or my idea is crazy, but I think comparing the two perspectives can help us see that the Bible is going to going to hit different cultures in different places which we should expect if it's written above culture, right? Every culture is going to find places where the Bible um, <clears throat> the Bible's challenging us. So that's humility. Um, more could be said about that, but let's kind of press on here. The next is everyone's favorite word, submission. Submission. So I think submission is the discipline of, of giving in to an authority when you don't agree. I think that's, that is, in some ways, what submission is. Um, 
so here's, here's a quote. Maybe this says it better than I can. So this is a, um, from Matt Chandler. He's talking about how every church says we believe the Bible. Every Christian says, I believe the Bible. He says, that's really not the question, because everybody says they believe the Bible. The question is, where does the Bible land in regard to authority? So that's the question when we engage a scripture. When you engage a scripture, do you have a, p- a posture that the Bible is authoritative? Is it the Bible that says, this is how things work, or is it our experience that says, no, 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 this is how it works? What bears the weight of your skepticism? Is it your experience in the way you think, or is it the Word of God? Rhetorical question, but I, th- I just want to challenge all of you guys to ask yourself that question right now. What, what ideas have authority in my life? Not like how you argue with a friend, not how you'd answer in Sunday school class, but really, what has authority for what you believe is true? Is it your experiences, how you've lived, what you've learned, um, the, the times that you've had, or is it the Word of God? Because there's going to be some tension sometimes. If there was never tension, then you could be God. You wouldn't need the Word to change you and sharpen you if you already agreed with God on everything. So you and God are going to disagree. And when you disagree, who gets to have the authority? Is it you and your experiences, or is it the Word of God? Can God be trusted to lead us into the richest possible life? If He can, then we must take the revealed Word of God and apply it. Because He's God, and because we're created, He's going to disagree with us. Because He's eternal and we are not, there are going to be things that don't make a lot of sense to us. In that moment, may our play be, we're going to submit to your word as it's written. All right, and the third posture is a posture of obedience. So are you willing, even when you don't agree or understand, to obey God? So there's a lot of commandments in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that I wish weren't there. <laughs> Some things that would make my life a lot easier if God had called me to different things, an easier standard, an easier way to kind of get through. So when I wish God's teachings were different, am I willing to obey? And that's a question that I don't think any of us can always say the answer is yes, but that's part of spiritual maturity. That's why we are engaging in spiritual disciplines, because I want my heart and affections to change in a way that, I, that I'm more readily to say yes. Okay, so that's the second P. That's the one we're going to spend the most time on tonight. The third P is purpose. So you all should read a book by Simon Sinek, maybe this summer if you're in one, uh, called Start With Why. That's <clears throat> the idea of if you want to do something great in life, you should start with the question of why are you doing it. So don't go to med school for some silly like I'm doing it just because. You should be in med school because you believe every person on the planet is made in the image of God and God cares about their suffering and you want to be a part of relieving their suffering for His glory. That will get, make you study from 1 to 1.30, you know, or it's 3 a.m. and you need to go over the uh, cranial nerves one more time. Like, that will drive you. If your mission is, I want to have a lake house, you know, I, I'd go to sleep. You know what I'm saying? You can go make a B or make a C and... and um, and do it that way. So start with why. You want to live that way. So why do you read your Bible? Anything you do, you're asking why. I want, we want to read not just for knowledge, but for transformation. So don't read so you can win a debate with somebody from another denomination or somebody with a different perspective. 
We want to read the text because the text is the power of God to transform us into the people God's called us to be. So think about 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I want to be in Christ because Christ is making me new. And if I want to be in Christ, I need to be in His Word, right? I don't need to be like sitting around philosophizing, what do I think about the world? I want to know what, what Jesus thinks about the world. What does God think about the world? So I want to be in Christ uh, because I want to be transformed. All right. Fourth thing, these are a little shorter and a little more kind of logistical, plan. So the fourth P of how to read the Bible is plan. I don't want to sound too legalistic, but you're more likely to follow your plan to read if you plan what you will read, right? So if your plan is like, I'm just going to like go grab the Bible and see what happens, like you're not going to do that more than about a couple days, right? So, of course, this isn't in the Bible, like you have to have a Bible reading plan, but I really want to encourage you to do it. If you don't have a Bible reading plan, I know I don't have a reading plan, I don't read near as much as when I do. So the good news is there's all kinds of resources. The Bible app has amazing plans. I don't like to read on my phone, but I use the app to come up with a plan, and then I follow it and um, and, and read the text. So you want to have a plan to read. So my papa, I think one of the wisest men that's ever lived, he told me when I was in high school, I was talking about some things I wanted to do, and he said, plan your work, then work your plan. And that is that is like it. So plan your work. This is, I mean, this will work in med school. Plan, come up with your study plan, plan your work, and then work your plan. Just go through the plan and work it. And so that's, that's I think, advice for being somebody who reads their Bible. The fifth one is place. Place. So time and place are powerful habit-making tools. So if you want to be like super healthy and like have an exercise routine, most like really healthy people I know, if you like say, well, how do you work out? They're almost never like, well, it's just kind of random and sometimes I do this time. I mean, I'm sure there's some people like that, but usually they're like, well, I work out every day at my lunch break at this gym or I work out Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I run in the morning and Tuesday, Thursday, I swim in the afternoon. And they got a plan, right? And they got a place that they usually do it. So I want to encourage you of course, this isn't textual. It's not like sinful if you want to do something different. But have like a place in your house or a place at, at school uh, that, you, that you're engaging with God and then have a time. You say, you know, I was, <clears throat> if you're normally getting up at, you know, 7.15 to get to school at 8, maybe say, I'm going to start getting up at 7, and that's going to be my time. 7 a.m. I'm going to read for 15 minutes. So have a time and place, and that's what forms habits. And then once you get 30, 40, 50 days into a habit, Man, it's a lot easier. I bet most of you don't think about taking a shower in the morning. Everyone's going to take a shower tomorrow, probably. Everyone's going to take a shower tomorrow morning, right? Um, and if, if that, the reason is because that's a habit for you. You don't. You're not. I'm not going to wake up tomorrow and be like, take a shower, like I, you know, get the like create the internal discipline to go take a shower because it's beyond discipline for me. It's no longer a discipline. It's a habit. So that's where we want to be with our spiritual disciplines. You want to have a habit of reading the Bible, of praying, and, and sharing the gospel. And if you're not a shower person, then... In fairness, <laughs> there is an urgency that, that you know, motivates showering, because you'll stink. It'd be nice if it just, like, sat across our forehead, like, didn't read the Bible today. <laughs> <laughs> He smells like he didn't read. <laughs> okay, so which of the, fi- of the five P's is the most important? Which is the hardest for you?
yourself a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Like I think that's definitely changed for me. Like I don't know, just as you like learn what motivates you and you, you make plans better for you. Like you realize that you do not need other people's um, niches for how they like find purpose or how they determine their environment. Like you you make it work for you. So you're a super disciplined person. Break that down a little bit for us so we can learn from you. Um, like, example, <coughs> purpose. You have to create like a passionate why for yourself to do anything because you have to answer that question every time you do that one thing in some way. And if you don't understand who you are in terms of like why you even care about something, you can't even make a why. Like why do you want to mm -hmm. study the Bible? because of fear you want to say about or if it's because of your love of people. Like you just have to be honest about whatever it is and then maybe come to terms with that and change that. But you have to make that part of how you live a life of discipline is just kind of knowing yourself and knowing what you want out of something. Mm, that's good. <coughs> to it I do better listening to it but I get way behind I like listen to like a huge chunk you know I listen to like three books in a row or something like it was great but but I do manage to sort of like stay with it but that's not really the way to do it like I should should do it every day um, I don't know I also lecture on start with why this is great this is like <laughs> this is great yeah that's it that's a huge concept I just want to say like real quick like the idea of starting with why, like that's been said like a million different ways. Like twenty years ago, it was like talking about your like core values, your like mission statement, or it's like establishing you know what it is that drives you, or you know what's at your core. Uh, but it is true that like you know the other two things that companies or the people <coughs> think of when they do work is the how and the what of what you're doing, and uh, that's where most people stay. And so, if, let's say you're a hygienist, and what you do every day is you go into work and you clean teeth. Um, how you do it is you use these little like scalers and curettes and things. Uh, the why of being a hygienist is certainly deeper and more important, and it's more sustaining spiritually. But if you never get to that, it'll never matter. And the other thing about this is that the why is important, but you also have to do the how and the what. And so it'd be one thing to like understand the why of reading the Bible, but if you don't actually do it, you know, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean a whole lot. Like it's so important to read my Bible, but you never do it. Like <laughs> you sort of missed, you know what matters. It all matters, but you need to start with kind of why you do it. You know what? 
you were saying? Oh, I was just going to say for me, it's definitely the sixth P, like the priority, priority, like being a priority. I just, I feel like there's so many things that are pulling from my attention all the time. Like that, when you said that, I was like taking a shower is a priority, but not as much of a priority as like feeding my kids breakfast when they wake up mm-hmm. or like whatever it is that's like demanding my time all the time, I guess. Um, and so I do struggle because with reading the Bible, sometimes too I feel like I understand the why of it, like I get it, and I am even like submissive to the authority of it, and there's so many, like when you said, think about what ideas have authority in my life, there's so many that come from scripture that I do like act out, and and they do affect how I live my life, but so much of it is because of how I was raised, like those are the things that were instilled in me. And so I'm really missing, like you said, the how and the what of the practical, like, mm-hmm. making it happen. Um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's it's the only thing in my life that I feel like that about where I feel like I understand the significance of it. And it's so important. And it has authority in my life. But, like, I'm not doing it, yeah. you know, like I wish I were. <coughs> I don't know where it necessarily falls in the peas, maybe posture, um, but uh, the idea of you know spending time in <coughs> the Word is going to build your affection for Christ um, and for God. Uh, I think I I miss out on that because there are times it can feel like a checklist, or there are mm-hmm. times when I am reading it to try and see what I can get out of it, um, whatever that might mean in the moment, um, but it. Sometimes it would be better just to read it to spend time with God. Uh, so that's good. Yep. I've, I've struggled with the so like under purpose, not reading for knowledge, but for transformation. So I know why I'm doing it. Like I know the purpose of it. Um, and I think what happens is like when I, if I read it, right, and I'll have moments where like it just melts my face <coughs> off, and it has like total applicability to my day, right, and, and it just, everything, like, hits, right, like, it's just one of those days you're on, mm-hmm. and I have those, but then if I start having days where I read it, and it doesn't, like, I don't feel like it moves in my spirit, or, like, it doesn't stir my heart, or so, it doesn't, maybe it doesn't, like, click for the day, there's something that doesn't resonate, and if I have days like that on end, and, and it's really, I think, just boils down to, like, I don't feel like I'm being pleased from the word, like, it's mm-hmm. not a Maybe it's not pleasing me the way I want it to, but I begin to like lose, like it's like, uh, it's not really like giving me any like pleasure. Why am I like, you know, like I, I got stuff I got to be doing, or like can I like fast track this, you know? So that's good. I was just looking back at the submission quote of like the what drives your like what you do everything you do every day is it your experiences or is it trying to satisfy the word of God I think maybe a lot of experiences like the I just like do what I was word before and just try to make it through and survive another day but like knowing that there's truth and that we've been given truth that sets a standard and look, going after that instead of just what you've learned and mm-hmm. gotten experience yep. is, is a better way to start Man, y'all saying some good stuff <laughs> The thing I'll offer to sort of my list point that other people have said it is, is that I remember when Peter taught on this topic, did a little bit different lesson, but one thing he said that, that really stuck with me was um, that when you sit down and read your Bible, like any possible distraction 
will, will come and place itself above as a priority to the reading of the Bible. So it's like, oh, I was going to, you know, organize my sock drawer. Like, <laughs> so you go run it, you come back, like, all right, I'm going to read our Bible. And then it's like, ah, oh, I need to go order vitamins on Amazon. <laughs> Whatever it is, like, there's always these things that kind of come in above it. And I don't know if that's Satan or that's just, like, human nature, but um, you've got to guard against that. And so, like, one of his, like, very practical things was that to have nearby, like, a little thing where you can write down those little, like, you know, mind farts that, that take away, you know, your focus. Um, and that's the same thing with studying. It's like you sit down to study and it's an hour later. It's like, I watched every YouTube thing ever, you know. <laughs> Let's study now. Let's do it. It's like, oh, i got to get my highlighter. You know, ugh, it's terrible. But you've got to, like, guard against that practically somehow. And I'm bad. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's kind of wrap this up. This is a, it's kind of a short idea, but um, I don't know if we'll do this every week or not. We might, but this is um, a challenge for your week in following the King. So we're talking about reading the Bible, prayer, and sharing the gospel. So this week, I want to ask you guys to have a plan and a place to be in the Word with prayer, posture, and purpose. So what's cool is one of my favorite books, the book of Galatians, has six chapters. So there will be six days till we meet again. So I want to challenge everybody in the group to read one chapter of the Bible a day between now and next Monday. And so if you do that, you'll read the whole book of Galatians this week. And some people say Galatians is kind of like a, a, a mini Roman. So you kind of get the whole idea if you read uh, Galatians. So I even have a column here for us uh, type A people. You can like make a little comment that you think about uh, each chapter. So that's the, that's the challenge this week. Uh, maybe we can kind of text each other and um, encourage each other to read one chapter a week. And uh, I think that would be a cool thing. Um, I think what Anna said is uh, just kind of true for all of us, right? We get busy, we get distracted. It's hard to make the most important things a priority. And so maybe this week we can become a, a, a group, a family that says, we're going to make this a priority. I'm going to spend five minutes a day. You can read a chapter in five minutes in the Word. So we'll, do, we'll read the book of Galatians this week. So thank you to David for uh, really a wonderful lesson. Uh, I know David... He rewrote all that or wrote that all the next, in the last day or two. And uh, man, I thought it was great. So really good stuff. Um, really making me think more about reading the Bible. So I encourage you, if you're out there listening, to, uh, to read your Bible this week. David's challenge was to read Galatians, read one chapter a day, six chapters, six days, um, and then reflect on that. Or, you know, it's, uh, let's see, it's October, you got a few months, maybe you take a challenge of, Trying to read through the New Testament in three months. You could do it. Uh, or maybe you say, you know what, in January, I'm going to commit to read the entire Bible. I'm going to take on a Bible plan, and I'm going to do it, a reading plan. Um, you know, this year I'm doing uh, the New Testament, trying to do it in one year, and I uh, think I'm going to get there. And so that's, it's always good, again, to, to kind of come up with a plan and then, uh, then follow through on that plan. So we'll be back next week. This is going to be Eric Gentry that's going to be speaking to us on how to pray. I have listened to this lesson. It is very good. So I definitely encourage you, if you're in town, to come be a part of that, and if not, to listen on the podcast. Appreciate you guys so much. Hope it's a wonderful week for you, and we will see you next time on the MDDDS podcast. Thanks.